Greetings, brethren, and uh, apologize for some of the technical difficulties I'm having this evening. I'm traveling, and I wanted to go ahead with the study tonight because I, I have no other night this evening, and I didn't want to miss another week of our Isaiah study. So I'm just going to hang on a bit and see if, in fact, I am broadcasting. So I'll just wait for confirmation to see if I am, in fact, broadcasting. And uh, you can just perhaps let me know, if those of you who are on the chat, you can let me know if I am uh, coming through on the chat. I'll just hang on a bit before we get started, just to ensure. So if you're on the chat, please let me know, and uh, I can continue with the study. I'm just going to hang on a bit to ensure that I am, in fact, uh, broadcasting. Hopefully. Let me know if I am uh, coming through like on I the am. chat. I'll just hang on a bit before. There we go. Okay, so it's, it does seem like I am coming through. So let me uh, open with a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, start this study with uh, Isaiah chapter 44. Our Heavenly Father, we pause to give you thanks, to praise your holy name, and to ask for your involvement, Father, in our study, that uh, week by week as we study this uh, incredible book of Isaiah, these ancient prophecies, that you would deepen our understanding not only of Isaiah, but of all of your word and your whole plan. We thank you, Father, and we ask this blessing now in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So we are up to Isaiah chapter 44, and uh, let's just jump right into it. And let me just set myself up here. <clears throat> let me just switch this over. Great. So um, Isaiah chapter 44, and let me just organize myself a bit here. Give me one second. And uh, we'll go to get the Bible open. And that's great. Okay, great. So um, we are, sorry, let me just apologize for this. Just uh, when I'm traveling, I don't have everything handy the way I would like it to be, but we'll be okay shortly. Just give us a second here. Okay, so uh, the last time we were in Isaiah chapter 43, now not last week, but just going back a couple of weeks. So before we go into chapter 44, I just want to pick up a couple of verses from Isaiah uh 43, and that is um, verse 11. He says here, let me just get this a bigger font. He says, I, in verse 11, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So the God of Israel wants Judah to know very specifically that, that there's no other Savior besides him. Don't look to anybody else except the Lord. And then in verse 12, he says, I have declared and I have saved. Oh, it looks like the, the internet is not working well. I just got a message that um, it's stopping and starting frequently. Uh, let me just uh, uh, see who else. Oh, it's working well. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and proceed. I think there's uh, quite a few people because I'm doing this on Monday evening. Uh, most people will probably pick this up on the archive. So uh, hopefully the archive will be a smooth recording. And uh, I'll just go ahead and proceed. If not, we'll, we'll redo this. But in verse 12, 
He says, I have declared and have saved. So anciently, God pronounced this judgment on these people. And it is a very severe judgment. But embedded in the judgment, he also declared their salvation. That, that he, he would not completely wipe them out. That he would in fact turn and save them. And so there, he's saying, there's no God except me. I'm the one that's declared this judgment. And I'm the one that can save you. And I have showed... So he's, he's revealed through his prophets. When there was no strange God among you, therefore you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. So there was a time in this relationship when Israel was faithful and, and they didn't have these strange idols and these strange gods among them. And at that time is when this prophecy was made, was made by God as to what would happen and we saw that in Deuteronomy 30 that even Moses was revealed it was revealed to Moses that Israel would in fact go ahead and inherit the promised land but then they would be unfaithful and they would be scattered and taken captive and punished severely but then God would then gather them from all the different points of the earth and bring them back in their land and they would in fact be faithful so at this time when there was no strange God among them God told them what was going to happen. He showed it to them. And he says, therefore, you are my witnesses that I am God. Because there's nobody else that can do this except God. To declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, my plans, my counsel shall stand. So these people that God has designed his whole plan around, they are witnesses. They are his witnesses that he is God. He goes on then to say, yes, before the day was, I am he. So, so uh, before anything began, I am he. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who can reverse it? So, so when God sets out to punish these people, nobody can deliver them from him. And then in turn, when he sets to save them and, and, and punish their enemies, no one can deliver the enemies. Because it, this is God's doing. And, and God needs Judah to learn this very painful lesson that, that God means what he says. So that's the context now that we want to come into chapter 44, which begins. So we see here that uh, God is doing this strange work. Isaiah calls it a strange work. Uh, Habakkuk refers to it as... Um, an unbelievable work, a work that you won't believe even if it's told to you. This work that God is doing where he's stirring up Israel's enemies or Judah's enemies to destroy them. Uh, and then he's going to save them. It's a strange work. And so he says, none can deliver out of my hand. I will work and who can reverse it. So nobody can stop this work. And that's why they are his witnesses that everything surrounding them and their, their, their destiny and their history has been ordained by God. And therefore they are his witnesses that he is God. Yet now hear, O Jacob my servant. So even though this punishment has been declared upon them, yet now hear, O Jacob my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. So these are the people that God has selected to be his servants, to be the, the priests of the earth. And that the whole earth must come to know the God of the universe through these people that have been chosen by God. So yet now, so despite this punishment, yet now hear, 
O Jacob, my servant. And Israel, whom I have chosen. God has chosen these people. Thus says the Lord that made you and formed you from the womb. So this is something that God is saying. Look, I'm the one who created you. And this is what I'm telling you about yourself. Which will help you. I'm the one who's going to help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and Jesurun, whom I have chosen. So it seems like there's ample reason to fear that these uh, neighboring countries and, and empires are vicious and they have turned their sights on Judah and they want to destroy Judah. And yet the God of the universe is saying to Judah, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. And, and they are the remnant of Israel. So he refers to them as Jacob. He refers to them as Israel. But as I mentioned earlier, the northern tribes have been divorced. They've been scattered. They've been, they're, they're now irrelevant. And Judah is the representative of Israel. And so God refers to Judah now as Jacob, as Israel. And then he refers to them as this strange term, Jeshurun. And what does that mean? So Jeshurun means the, the upright one. And it's used in Deuteronomy. And when we look at how God uses it in Deuteronomy, uh, what we see here is that Jeshurun is a way of referring to Israel in Israel's glory. So Israel, when, when Israel comes into its fullness, God refers to them as Jeshurun. And let's see that as we review uh, Deuteronomy 32. I'll just take a bit of uh, time with Deuteronomy 32 to get the full context of this term Jeshurun. He says, when the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance. So all the nations have their inheritance. And, and God divided to the nations their inheritance. When he separated the sons of Adam, he set the boundaries of the people. So, so we're living in a time now where countries can't have boundaries. Oh, it's a, such a terrible thing to build a wall. It's such a horrible thing to have boundaries. Well, no. God is the one that sets the boundaries in the first place. God is all about nations, and he's all about boundaries and separating. Uh, and so people want to be more righteous than God. Nations should have boundaries. And so God, uh, when he separated the sons of Adam, and he set the boundaries of the people, and how did he set the boundaries of the people? Look at this. According to the number of the children of Israel. So there are 12 tribes of Israel, and somehow these nations have been set up according to the tribes of Israel. And let's keep that in mind because that will come up uh, a bit later. He says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So all of the nations have been divided up in the world according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and so they are going to be assigned to a tribe of Israel. Why? Because the Lord's portion is his people. And Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So Israel is God's inheritance, and therefore he's assigned the whole world to the different tribes of Israel, because Israel is his inheritance. He's going to marry Israel. And, and now notice how this is fulfilled at the, in, in the end, and we're, we're, this is revealed to us when we were studying Revelation. In Revelation 21, verse 10, he carried me away, this is John being carried away in the spirit, to a great and a high mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem. So this is the end now, the, the new Jerusalem is coming down to earth, descending out of heaven from God. And it had a wall, it had a wall great and high. So it has a wall, 
has boundaries. And it had 12 gates. So it has 12 gates. There's going to be three gates on each side. It's a, a cube structure. Uh, so it's a square structure here at the, the, at the base. And three um, gates on each side to make the 12 gates. And at the gates, 12 angels. You notice this. And the names written thereon, the names written on the gates. What are the names written on the gates? Which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. So Israel is God's inheritance. And this new Jerusalem comes down with 12 gates, each one assigned to one of the tribes of Israel. And the nations, so Deuteronomy, Moses reveals to us that the nations are divided up according to the tribes of Israel. And here we read that the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of this new Jerusalem. And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. So all these nations that are saved, uh, the kings are coming to this new Jerusalem, they're bringing their offerings, they're bringing their wealth and their glory to it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day. So there's 12 gates and they're always open. For there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So you can see how the nations have to be assigned to one of the gates in order to bring their offerings and their wealth into the New Jerusalem. They cannot get into the New Jerusalem unless they come in through one of the tribes of Israel. And from the very beginning, Moses is showing us that all the nations are assigned according to the tribes of Israel. Back to Deuteronomy 32. For the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. So from the beginning to the end, God has not changed his mind, and he has not forsaken Israel. He will be glorified in Israel. He says here, He found him in a desert land, and in the waste howling wilderness he led him about. He instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. So this is how the relationship began, and he brought him from Egypt and brought him into the wilderness and kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up her nest and flutters over her young, spreads abroad her wings, takes them, bears them on her wings, so he's just like this eagle that looks after her young, so the Lord alone did lead him. So God had this special relationship with Israel and led him. And there was no strange God with him. So that's exactly what we read in Isaiah. In Isaiah 43, he says that he has declared and saved and he showed when there was no strange God among you. So that's going back to this time in Deuteronomy when God brought him through the desert and kept him as the apple of his eye. And at that time he led him and there was no strange God among them. And that's when God showed and he declared and he, he revealed from, from then when there was no strange God among them. Continuing in Deuteronomy 32, he made him ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields and he made him to suck honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock. So he, they come out of Egypt as slaves and then God embellishes them with, with wealth. Butter of kine and milk of sheep with the fat of lambs excuse me, and rams of the bread of Bashan and goats with the fat of kidneys of wheat and you did drink the pure blood of the grape so this is uh, the the history of god with israel when there was no strange god among them 
And now we come to Jeshurun. In verse 15, God now calls Israel by this name as a, like a term of endearment. But Jeshurun waxed fat. So with all of this blessing that God was just the apple of his eye and just blessing them so much and giving them everything, uh, unfortunately, Jeshurun waxed fat. So when Israel was in his glory, they just got fat and happy and arrogant and kicked. You are waxen fat. You are grown thick. You are covered with fatness. Then he forsook God, which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. And we all need to be careful of this uh, proclivity in the human condition that when we're facing misfortune, oh, we call on God, we call on God. But when things are going well, we forget God. And this is the nature of man, and this was the nature of Israel. So Jeshurun, when Israel comes into its glory, they forsook God. And that's exactly what God said as the book of Isaiah opened. He says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, but they got fat. Jeshurun got fat. Jeshurun waxed fat. I have nourished and brought up children, and they rebelled against me. That's exactly here. It says that they, they lightly esteemed the rock of their salvation. God saved them, but they lightly esteemed him, and they forsook God. So this is Jeshurun. They provoked him to jealousy with strange gods. So at first there was no strange god among them, and then they waxed fat, and they provoked God to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils. This is what Israel did. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not, of the rock that begat you, you are unmindful, and you have forgotten that God formed you. So God says he's nourished and brought up children, and they've, they've rebelled against him, they've forgotten him. And when the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. When the Lord saw it, he abhorred them. The, the, these covenant people, this covenant community that's in a special relationship with God, they, they worship devils. And when God saw it, he abhorred them, because of the provoking of his sons and of his daughters. There is none like the God of Jeshurun. So just dropping down to verse 26 now. There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides upon the heaven in your help, and in his excellency on the sky. So this is where Jeshurun comes from that Isaiah is calling back. We also see it in Deuteronomy 28, in verse 47. These are where the curses are being pronounced. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness. So you were brought into this special, very, very special privilege. And instead of being joyful and serving God joyfully, they were very reluctant. They were rebellious. They actually ended up worshiping devils. So because you, this is the curse, if you do not serve the Lord with God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, Jeshurun was blessed with all this abundance, therefore shall you serve your enemies which the Lord shall send against you in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. He shall put a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. So this is the word of God. And God is faithful to his word. So he's going to absolutely carry all of this out. 
And this curse that we see here, it's a pattern that God sets down and it's going to be uh, fulfilled multiple times. First with Assyria, then with Babylon, then with Rome, uh, with, the, with the Persians, the, the, the Greeks. So it's just constant, uh, this um, constant repeating of this, of this cycle until Isaiah shows us that it is ultimately fulfilled right before Jesus Christ returns in the end time. That the, these curses are fully fulfilled and, 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 and are fully ripe just before Christ returns. So this is a pattern that's laid down that that's become cyclical until it's until it's done in its fullness just before the return of Christ. And and the way Isaiah writes, it's clear that he's speaking of the, not only the immediate fulfillment as he was prophesying first of Assyria, then of Babylon, but it, from his writing we can see very clearly he's speaking of the end fulfillment right before the return of Christ. Until he has destroyed you. The Lord shall bring a nation against you from far, from the end of the earth. As swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. A nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. And he shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land, and you shall until you are destroyed. Which also shall not leave you either corn or wine or oil. So this is when, when we read this here, remember we read in Isaiah 6 when Isaiah had his call to ministry and he was told to, uh, to um, ensure that these people, that they hear but they don't understand, that they see but they don't perceive, uh, that their heart is, is uh, waxed fat, lest they should hear and understand and, and, and repent and be converted, that that cannot happen. And the reason that cannot happen is because God is faithful to his word. And, and then Isaiah asks, well, how long? And he says, until the cities are desolate. Because it has to fulfill this agreement that they've entered into with God. And so this is the part of, because they rebelled, God has to fulfill this part of the agreement that, they will, that they'll leave you neither corn nor wine or oil or the increase of your flocks until he has destroyed you. So this is what God through Isaiah is ensuring gets fulfilled so that he is faithful to his word but then despite all of their rebellion he's going to save them so just as the remnant is left then he's going to step in and rebuild them and put them back in the land and put his spirit in them and ensure that they ultimately fulfill the promise that he made to his friend Abraham and he shall besiege you in all your gates until your high and fenced walls come down wherein you trusted throughout all your land. So they trust in their fenced walls and God is saying, I'm the only one that can save you. But they keep looking to their other to alliances and to their own strength instead of looking to the Lord. And he shall besiege you in all your gates throughout your land, which the Lord your God has given you. Now, when God was on earth, when Jesus Christ was on earth, he gave us Matthew 24, which is going to fulfill Deuteronomy and so let's let's just read this together and again this is a, a gesture on waxing fat and then having to be punished severely for that but then God stepping in to establish Jeshurun that Israel will come into its full glory which God refers to as Jeshurun but just because of their nature when they came into their full glory they forgot God and so in Matthew 24 verse 14 uh, Christ says this gospel of the kingdom 
shall be preached in all the world for a witness. So God says, you are my witnesses. And so the fact that we can preach this gospel and show from historically and prophetically everything that God says is going to come to pass around these people, they are the witnesses. And so we are able to preach this as a witness unto all nations. So we're not trying to convert the nations. We're just telling them the plan of God. And then it's up to them whether they respond to it or not. And then shall the end come. Now, which kingdom? So it's the gospel of the kingdom. And so when all of this was said and done, and Christ was resurrected, and he was then teaching his apostles for 40 days, when they therefore came together, they asked of him, this is Acts 1 verse 6, remember we studied this when we studied Acts, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? So they fully understood. They understood Isaiah. They understood Deuteronomy. They understood Jeshurun. That, that the kingdom is Israel's. And when God comes to establish the kingdom, it's not just a generic kingdom. It is the kingdom of Israel. So the kingdom of God is the kingdom of Israel because God will be glorified in Israel. And all nations will come to acknowledge that God is the God of Israel. And so this preaching of the gospel must be tied to the name of Israel. That it is the Holy One of Israel who is establishing the kingdom in Israel as the God, the Holy One of Israel. So that's why they're asking him, okay, great, you, we, we've been hearing this gospel that you've been preaching. We get it now. We're, we're, we understand. You've taught us. The, the, so God opened the scriptures to them, showed them from Moses how, how everything's about him. And now they fully understand. And now they're being told to stay in Jerusalem to receive the Spirit. And say, okay, we'll stay here. Is this the time now that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he said unto them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. So in other words, I am going to restore the kingdom to Israel. You, it's just not for you to know when, which the Father has put in his own power. Instead, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses. So in other words, you will preach this gospel to, to, to the world, but in a particular order. So you shall be witnesses with the power of the Holy Spirit, unto me both in Jerusalem it's all, it's all the, the focus of God's attention is Jerusalem so start there and in all Judea so the cities of Judah and in Samaria Israel the, the Israelites and unto the uttermost part of the earth so the gospel has to be preached to the four corners of the earth and God is going to gather his people from all over the earth but both Jew and Gentile need to understand this glorious plan of God and how precise God is with his word. So he says, When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. That is the, the, the temple in Jerusalem. So there needs to be this temple in Jerusalem for this to be fulfilled. Whoso reads, let him understand. And we need to understand that this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy. And that every word of God is going to be fulfilled. And because of the rebellion of these people, they, they have to suffer this in, incredible desolation, which we've seen already with, with Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes. And uh, we've seen all of this again with, the, with Rome. Uh, it's just a constant uh, cycle that's being repeated. But it's a pattern that's being repeated. But it's going to come to its fullness. In just before Christ returns. 
Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, because these, these people are vicious. And these are the only people that are told they can flee, the people that are in Judea. Everyone else, we have to have this boldness to preach the, the gospel and not run. But for those, those Jews now who are listening to Christ in this end time, who we are preaching this gospel to and opening the word of God to, and they believe in their, their Messiah, that, that at this time in Judea, get out of there. It's like, it's just wholesale slaughter. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. And that's again, this is just specifically in Judea. It's not if you're, you know, if you're in Canada or Australia or New Zealand. No, this is specifically this specific piece of real estate. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. So even the uh, small children and the, 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 the women, the mothers, are there's such a hate, a homicidal hatred for the Jew that there's just no mercy at all. That these people just want to slaughter. Uh, this is anti-Semitism to the extreme. And these people are just going to be slaughtered just because they're Jews and they're in this land of Judea. And even the women. Now this, this is a fulfillment of what God said in Deuteronomy. That your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people. And your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long. And there shall be no might in your hand. So you're going to have no power, Judea. You're going to have no power to protect your children. Even your babies. That these people are coming into slaughter. And you're, this is this is the curse. This is this is the, the the covenant agreement that they entered into with God. And if they did the right things, these are the blessings they would enjoy. But if they rebelled, these are the curses. And they rebelled. And so God is righteous. And because of God's righteousness, He has to fulfill His word. And so this is His word that He's fulfilling. In in uh, verse forty one, He says, "You'll beget sons and daughters, but you'll not enjoy them." For they shall go into captivity and it's going to be brutal a nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the person of the old nor show favor to the young they just don't care you're you're not a human being to them so they believe they're human but they believe that you're 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 less than an animal you're less than the feces of an animal they have no regard for you for the jew at all and so they're just going in and wiping out uh young and old and they just have no regard at all, and they've taken them slaves. So back to Matthew, he says, But pray you that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. So these are Sabbath-keeping people, and they're there to pray. This is the instruction to them now, that they pray that it's not that when this happens, that it's not going to be in winter, and it's not going to be on the Sabbath, because it's going to require all of the effort and full exertion of energy. Run for your life. To, to the extreme for then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time no nor ever shall be so we can see this pattern has been laid down and it's been repeated over and over but this is the fulfillment this is it at a, this is the ultimate fulfillment just before Christ returns and then he says this and except those days should be shortened so God is going to cut cut it short he says I believe it's in Romans that he's going to cut short the work in righteousness. So this is a short work that he's going to do, but then he's going to stop it. 
And, and from Habakkuk, we know that this is his work. This is his strange work. We, call it, we know from Isaiah, it's a strange work. From Habakkuk, it's an unbelievable work. And from Romans, we know he's going to cut it short. So here he sees that except these days of this strange work should be shortened, there should, be, there should no flesh be saved. And, and this no flesh means no Jewish flesh, no people of the covenant flesh, that the whole focus is on Judea, is surrounded by armies. So first, the, the people from around the world, as much as possible, they're going to Judah. Uh, they're deserve this calling to come back to Judah. So they're all there. Uh, for the, I shouldn't say they're all there, but many of them are there. Jerusalem is then surrounded by armies. These people move in with wholesale slaughter, which implies, by the way, that America must collapse because as long as America is strong, there's no way that any harm can come to Judah because uh, they're allies and America is the superpower and nobody would dare touch Judah as long as America is a superpower. But once America collapses, and it was Abraham Lincoln that said, the only way America can collapse is such a powerful nation is not from any enemy outside, but from within. So clearly we're seeing America has been infiltrated uh, by Muslims, by our Muslim Brotherhood, as well as by communists and, and others. And, uh, and there's just all this unrest within America, this wonderful, uh, magnificent civilization. In my opinion, it's the greatest civilization, uh, this side of, of God's kingdom. Uh, it's just remarkable, remarkable what, what America, the, what just, just more remarkable uh, empire. And, uh, and yet, this remarkable country and empire is collapsing, and it's collapsing, it's rotting from within. And when it collapses, then it's open season in the Middle East. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, that is, the covenant people. So God is going to wipe them out, punish them, but not completely. There will be a remnant, and because they are the elect, so Satan thinks he's, he's having his way. Satan's agenda is to wipe these people out. That's always been his agenda, because he wants to frustrate the, the, uh, the plan of God, and he wants to establish his own people. But God is going to use Satan and allow Satan to deceive the nations to do this strange work, but then he's going to stop it because of, their, because of the elect. Though because of the elect, those days shall be shortened. And who is the elect? Isaiah tells us, For Jacob my servant's sake, and Israel mine elect. I have called you, so Israel is God's elect. So because of these covenant people, God is not going to allow the nations to completely wipe them out. He's going to raise up these nations. Habakkuk says he's, he's doing this strange, this unbelievable work of raising up the Chaldeans. They're going to come in. They're going to wipe out these people. Isaiah says it's going to the Assyrian is the one who's ultimately going to do it. So the Assyrian gets control over Babylon and moves in to wipe these people out. And God allows it. And then he stops it so that there is a remnant to be saved. And then from Zechariah 12, you know that he's going to empower this remnant to fight back and to overcome their enemies. And that's as, as he returns to establish the kingdom and restore it to Israel. And that is the tribe of Judah, as well as the tribe, the house of Judah, as well as the house of Israel. Uh, so that was uh, Isaiah, just to say who the elect is, continuing in Matthew 24. Then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, do not believe it. So there's a way that Christ is returning that we should not be fooled. And so we have to explain all of this. Don't believe it. For there shall arise false Christs. 
So we can expect now in this end time with all this turmoil that false Christs are going to appear and false prophets. The false prophets will be most likely proclaiming the false Christs and they shall show great signs and wonders. So expect it's going to be a time of miracles insomuch that if it were possible they shall deceive the very elect. So there's the elect and then there's the very elect. So the elect are the covenant people. The very elect are the covenant people with the Holy Spirit. So there's only one, co there's only one covenant people. God does not have uh, a relationship with Gentiles. He only has a relationship with, with uh, Israel, which is represented in Judah. And then within this uh, relationship in, of Ju with Judah, as Christ came, he called us, called us, set aside, called out a few, and gave his Holy Spirit to them, and that became the church, which is Judah. And then the door opened for Gentiles to be grafted in to Judah. And so th those of us with the Holy Spirit, we are the very elect. But the elect is anybody in the covenant with the DNA of Judah, the house of Judah. And so he says here that if it were possible, they would even deceive the church. This is how powerful this deception is going to be, which means that many, in the many of the elect will be deceived. But the very elect cannot be deceived. We have to be preaching the gospel and comforting God's people and pointing them the way. But it sounds like for some of us, it's going to be like, whoa, maybe this is true. So God is telling us, look, at, look what he says here, behold, I have told you before. So we, have to, we cannot forget the word of God. And unfortunately, for people who are not studying, they're going to forget the word of God. And then that's why they can be deceived. But we have to stay immersed in the word of God. And so that way we can say, no, God told us this would happen. So he warns us, like, look, I'm tell I've, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they shall say unto you, behold, he is in the desert. And I keep repeating this, that there's got to be an ideology in the end time that all the nations that surround Judea share. And it's got to be a, an ideology that has homicidal hatred for the Jew that believes that the Jew must be slaughtered, every single one of them. So all of these nations have to share this ideology. And now what we see here is that their center, their base, their religious center has to be in the desert. So that they're making the claim, because Christ says there's going to be false Christs. So they're making the claim that Christ has come to the desert, but don't go forth. And they say, behold, he's in the secret chambers. So they have some sort of a religious structure there that they claim that Christ is there leading the prayers and there's all these miracles associated with it. And so this is what we're looking for, an ideology in the end time that is headquartered and centered in the desert, that has a homicidal hatred for the Jew that is shared by all the nations that surround Judea. But we're not to believe it. These things, and, and so John now uh, tells us, this is the other part of it as well, John, in, in John 16, Christ says, these things I've told you, I've spoken to you, that you won't be offended. We've just got to be like, our Lord told us, this is the way it's going to go down. We love our Lord, we trust our Lord, this is the way it's going to go down. Whereas others are going to be like, I didn't sign up for this, and they're going to be freaking out and panicking and betraying one another. And uh, God says that I'm telling you this so you won't be offended. And then notice what he says. So this ideology 
They shall put you out of the synagogue, so we're going to be excommunicated, we're going to be pushed out, yes. The time comes that whoever kills you will think that he does God's service. So, so it's very important that whoever is killing us actually believes that they're doing God, uh, doing God a favor, that this is, this is what uh, God would expect of them, would expect them to do. And so let me just quickly uh, grab something here. I just want to. I just want to show you something that I should uh, just set up here very quickly. So just keep that in mind that whoever uh, does this believes that he does God's service. And let me see if I can do this. Yes. Okay. So uh, look at this. We'll see. This is uh, Jews News. Uh, so if you go to uh, jewsnews.co.il and this article here says that uh, a major Muslim leader makes this message to all Christians if you refuse to convert to Islam then the only thing between you and us is the sword and so he goes on to say that a major Muslim leader in Trinidad Abu Saad at Trinidadi made this message to all Christians. If you refuse, then the only thing between you and us is the sword. Here is the full statement from Al Trinidadi. To the Christians, I say, you know that you have strayed far away from the true teachings of Abraham, Moses and Jesus. Your book was corrupted long ago by your leaders. I call on you to remember the first two commandments. For they are what led me to Islam. So this is a former Christian who's been who's converted to Islam. And so he's calling all Christians to remember the first two commandments. For they are what led me to Islam and to the true teachings of all the prophets. Submit to the one who created you and do not differentiate between the prophets. For they all came with the same message. Follow the final messenger, Muhammad. For in doing so, you will be following all of the prophets. If you refuse then we offer you the option to pay jizya and live under the authority of Islam in humiliation. So that's one option. So you either become a Muslim or you pay the jizya and live in humiliation and it's a 50% tax, it's a very, it's to impoverish you and there's all kinds of stipulations to humiliate you uh, to show that you're serving a false god. And if you refuse that, then the only thing between you and us is the sword. And, and, and so it goes on. So. This is uh, this uh, major Muslim leader uh, from Trinidad making this call to all Christians. And this is what uh, many people just fail to understand is that this is Islam. This man isn't just making these things up. He's not just have a vivid imagination. He's following the text, the Quran, the Hadith, the Sirah. This, is, he could, he, this guy could, you know, he's a human being. Uh, he could be dead tomorrow. But there'll be other human beings who either convert to Islam or they're born into it, and they're going to read these texts, and they're going to come to the very same conclusion. This has been going on for 1,400 years. And Christians are fooled because in Christian nations where Islam is not very prevalent, uh, we don't think anything of it. But Islam is very prevalent in Trinidad and Tobago now. And so once they get to a certain uh, density, then, they, then the real Islam comes out. And so Christians are defending Islam in, in Western nations, and they don't realize 
that the leftist governments, you don't realize how much the left governments hate the communists, the socialists, how much they hate Christ. And so this, they're intelligent people. They can read these texts, they understand these things, but this is how much they hate Christ and hate Christians, that they're happy to collude with this ideology, knowing that once they just have to keep us quiet and going along and accepting things until the, the density is there, and then all of a sudden it switches from Meccan uh, Islam to Medina Islam. And this is, the, this is the call to all Christians. And so the real understanding, to, to understand like well, how, how do Muslims and Christians actually coexist, is not to look at the West, where they're just making traction, but rather go to Africa, go to the Middle East, and see when Islam is dominant, what is the fate of Christians? Because Islam grows and continues to grow uh, all over the world. And that's, that's basically, so they believe that they are doing God's service. And God, this is exactly what Jesus Christ predicted, that whoever kills you, uh, so the sword, whoever kills you, will think that he's doing God's service. And so that's uh, a taste of, of the, the, you know, the future. And uh, we don't blame Muslims. Uh, they're, they're faithful to their text. It's the text. It's not the Muslim. It's not the man. It's the text. And so we have to look at the text, read the text, and people don't read the text. When we read the text and we read the Bible, ah, now we see how this is going to unfold. He says, they shall put you out of the sweetness. He feeds on ashes, a deceived heart has turned him aside, that he cannot deliver his soul, nor say, is there, any, is there not a lie in my right hand? So don't they realize that this is all falsehood? Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You shall not be forgotten of me. So despite the fact that Israel is surrounded by these hostile nations who mean it to be destroyed, God is saying, just remember, I've chosen you and you're my servant. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions. So we saw all the sinfulness of Israel. And God is saying, because of this everlasting covenant that I've made with my friend Abraham, I'm going to fulfill it in Israel. I'm going to be glorified in Israel. And so all of this sinfulness of Israel, God is going to blot it out. Because he's, just, he, he, he's the one that's chosen these people. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions. Very opposite. All the prophets are not saying the same thing. So Muhammad teaches that because of their transgressions, They've been uh, turned into apes and pigs. That's what the Quran teaches. God says, because of their transgressions, Israel, the northern, the house of Israel was divorced. And then he says, the house of Judah, they saw the transgressions of Israel. They saw that Israel was divorced by God, and they were worse than Israel. The house of Judah was more sinful than the house of Israel. But God did not divorce them. He sent them into captivity. But he did not forget them. He remained married to Judah. And then he established a new covenant in Judah. And promises that the new covenant will not just be in Judah. It will also be in Israel. He's going to restore Israel. So, so this is a very different message from the prophets of the Bible. That he's blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions. And as a cloud your sins. Return unto me for I have redeemed you. And this is the good news that we have to preach to these people. Sing O you heavens. Sing, heavens, this is God is saying, this is a wonderful thing. Sing, O you heavens, 
for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree therein. This is a remarkable thing that God has done. And all the creation can rejoice, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. The only place that God wants to be glorified is in Israel. And there's no way he'll be glorified in Gentiles. No, absolutely not. God is not unfaithful. So he will only be glorified in Israel. His name is attached to Israel. He is the Holy One of Israel. So unless Israel is restored, God is not glorified. And that, unless, let me say that again, unless Israel is restored, God is not glorified. In fact, if Israel is not restored, God is not God. Because of all these prophecies that he says, prove me. This is proof that I am God. That this is what's going to happen. Here's how it's going to go down. And then ultimately I'm going to be glorified in Israel. So if this does not happen, then God is not God. So he must be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and he that formed you from the womb, I am the Lord that makes all things, that stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreads abroad the earth by myself. So this is the God of the universe talking. That frustrates the tokens of the liars. So these false gods, these false worshippers, these, these, these nations, they're liars, and they know they're liars. Their, their, their ideology authorizes them to lie. But God is going to frustrate their signs. So God says, uh, Matthew 24, 